Hello, and welcome to the IFSEC Global Security in Focus podcast, where we bring you exclusive interviews with leading figures in the physical security industry to get to the heart of the profession. Hello, hello. It's great to be back with our first episode of 2023, and I hope everyone has had a good start to the year. For episode nine, we wanted to highlight a discussion that took place towards the end of 2022 on a webinar that we ran on IFSEC Global. On it, we hosted a panel with representatives from across the security, fire and safety sectors, all of which are witnessing closer collaboration and crossover in today's ever more integrated world. The subject matter focused on gender equality across the professions, while also exploring the women's networking initiatives that are taking place in each sector currently active in the UK. We had Letitia Emiana, UK Chapter Chair of ASIS representing the security sector, Heather Beach, who founded the Women in Health and Safety Network back in 2015, and Fiona Perrin and Andrea White, representing the relatively new Women in Fire Engineering Group, which Andrea founded in 2021. It was such an eye-opening discussion on a subject that I feel is very important to cover. There is little doubt that women are significantly underrepresented in security, fire and safety, as well as across the wider construction and engineering sectors as a whole. There are myriad reasons behind this, as you'll hear the panelists discuss in more detail as they put forward their own experiences. And despite some progress that has been made and there being initiatives to combat this and open up the sectors to more gender diversity, challenges still remain for women when entering or working in the sectors. The fact that barriers still exist in the workforce today, I think underlines why this subject is so important why we should be talking about it and why initiatives such as those the panelists are involved in exist. If opportunities aren't available or isn't parity in pay or young people are closed off from entering the sector because of outdated perceptions or simply because of conscious or even unconscious gender bias, then discussions like this clearly need to be had and amplified. Just before we get into the episode, however, I will hand over, as usual, to Rihanna Sexton to update you on some of the latest news from the security sector. Thanks, James. Hi, everyone. I'm Rihanna, and this is the latest news from IFSEC Global. First up, in December, the UK government passed into law the Product Security and Telecommunications Infrastructure Act 2022, or the PSTI Act for short. Designed to cover products that are capable of connecting to a network, such as network CCTV cameras, the legislation is set to impact any security and fire vendors manufacturing IoT or network products. Three key areas that require compliance are clear information on the support period for any updates at the point of sale, no default passwords, and reporting of security issues. For further information on the Act, visit our website for the full article. Also in the news, a lawyer was recently prevented from entering a New York music venue after they were identified via a facial recognition system. The lawyer, who works at US personal injury firm Davis, Saperstein and Salomon, was stopped from entering New York's Radio City Music Hall to see a show in December. The law firm is currently involved in a personal injury claim against the operator of the venue, MSG Entertainment. The operator's policy precludes attorneys from entering the venue if their firm is currently pursuing litigation against them. In a statement, MSG Entertainment said it was in compliance with all applicable laws. The law firm hit back, arguing that the scheme aimed at punishing those who might pursue litigation against them, adding that they found it frightening they were using facial recognition to do this. Thanks, Rihanna. 
So back to today's discussion where several key questions are asked. Does gender bias and discrimination still exist in the security, fire and safety professions? What is the goal of women's networks? And why do we need to have the conversation specifically about women? And what can organisations, managers and individuals do to support gender equality in our professions? All of this is covered and more. The chat is hosted by Charlotte Gagan, Event and Digital Strategy Manager for IFSEC Global, SHP and Safety and Health Expo. So let's get into it, shall we? Does gender bias and discrimination exist in our professions? Letitia, can I ask you to share your thoughts on this? I find this really tough answer, in all honesty, because I'm a firm believer discrimination does exist. And I believe it just exists because that's just how humans are built. We've got unconscious bias. We've been raised certain ways. So yes, wholeheartedly, discrimination exists. And I think where I wanted to also explore in this conversation was the different types of discrimination that can present themselves. Because one of the things that I have noticed when I've reflected on this question is that I think maybe as I've grown more senior in my capacity in physical security, I haven't witnessed the blatant over-sectism, gaslighting, as much as I feel I did 20 years ago. I've really felt like we'd come huge steps. And I'm so positive that we have. I'm not saying we haven't. And I'm also a big sports advocate because I'm also a female football coach. And when I went back and really did a bit more research on this, I'm a little bit disheartened that actually it's still quite prevalent in certain sectors within the physical security domain. And so therefore, in order to help, I think, people maybe on the call, it is recognised that it happens, but maybe this is what this discussion is going to help us bring out today about strategies and ways that we can support each other and continue on this journey to move forward in all our different areas that we um, operate in. And Fiona, I know you've got some comments on this one too. In preparation for this, I actually posted this exact question to our Women in Fire Engineering networking group. And I was really surprised by what I got back. Ladies from all levels, Letitia, especially in the fire industry, are, are experiencing whether you call it gender bias or microaggressions or outright discrimination. Looking at my cheat notes here, but we had a lot of biases around things like when meetings were held, expectations to attend breakfast events or evening events when it clashed with childcare. That was a really big key factor for many people. I know it's a issue I've been dealing with myself. And then the sort of the microaggressions where you know, perhaps people naturally turn to a male colleague to ask a question, or we had females being reported they were leading on projects, but continually left off emails, invites, emails being directed to the wrong person. And one interesting anecdote from one of our members, she said that this was repeatedly happening and her opinions not being taken into consideration. And they started using then a generic fire engineering email address and signature. And she said it just stopped happening then. And people didn't know if it was a male or a female sending the email. Um, you know, she got much better response from it, which is great. She's found a coping strategy, but it's it's sad that, you know, that's still happening in our profession. 
you know, I think safety professionals, we've come a long way. Heather might know that the better statistics, but I think we're about 22 or 25% female in, in, in IOSH. We're only 7% females in, in the IFE. And so many people, you know, still having those conversations around, you know, being asked if they take the notes or make the cups of tea. So, yeah, actually, I was on a call the other day and uh, the person that was chairing it was just like, okay, we're just, just waiting for, for the fire engineer to join us. <laughs> and I'm like, hello. <laughs> so, yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. But, you know, that's why we have these sessions. And I'm also a big believer in the need to educate because some of these biases, I don't even think they realise they're doing it. And I think we all have an obligation to speak about it, stand up for each other and, you know, not just support women, but also to call out these things when they do happen. Moving on to the more positive angle of today's discussion, and I want to talk about the women's networks. And I specifically want to ask what the goal of these networks is. And I'm going to come to a representative of each of the networks now, starting with Andrea. I think yours is perhaps the youngest network to be founded in this group. And you've told us a little bit about it. But can you give me an overview of what the goal of your network is? Women in Fire Engineering Networking Group established just about a year ago. Uh, we got going and we have a strap line that's supporting, developing and inspiring. So in terms of support, listening to some of the points that were made earlier, those are sort of frequent comments that I certainly hear. And, and by the way, great to hear so many men on, on this webinar today. That's really encouraging. So supporting women, you know, giving them an opportunity to realise that they're not alone because certainly before I established this group, I didn't have any other women in my industry on my contacts list. I didn't know any other women. And actually having someone else who can appreciate your perspective and talk to you uh, about certain issues is really, really helpful. I think that's probably, for me, having that sort of support network has been one of the best things about the group. Then development. So we're keen to help women develop further in their careers. As women, we tend to be less confident, don't we? And less willing to put ourselves forward. So we've run several workshops for professional registration and levels of membership application forms where we do those as a webinar, as a group over a couple of weeks. I'm a fellow of the IFE and an incorporated engineer. And I believe there are you know, in terms of women in both of those roles, it's in single figures. So it would be great to see more fellows that are women and also more incorporated engineers. And then the last one really is to inspire. So I'm particularly keen to raise the visibility of women uh, at speaking events. So exhibitions like FireX or the fire safety event. What we're really keen to do and what we do now is, is partner with the event organisers to try and improve the, the gender diversity of the speakers, because if you can see it, you can be it. I think one of the, the sort of sidelines is sort of helping raise awareness. So, you know, just trying to start these conversations. I wrote a LinkedIn post at the weekend and sort of mentioned that I'd Googled, what does a construction manager look like? 
every single image was male apart from one. And the female image was on a post that was mistakes that construction managers make. And the entire article had an image of the same woman through it and no men. What I was trying to say in the post was, isn't this disappointing? Uh, And interestingly, one man came back and sort of pushed back a little bit and said, what about if you Google a nurse? Are we going to have the same issue there? And and I, I, I tried to be quite polite and said, thank you. Really appreciate your comments. But I think, you know, for me, that's mansplaining. And he got a little bit defensive. But actually, we managed through the LinkedIn comments to have quite a good discussion there. And actually, by the end of it, he said, I didn't mean to belittle your comment or anything. Um, So it's interesting that actually some of this bias isn't necessarily intentional. It's about raising awareness and understanding. Fantastic. Thank you. Heather, do you want to come in next and talk about the goals of the Women in Health and Safety Network? Yes, thank you, Charlotte. And I have to say it was fantastic hearing Andrea there. I love your supporting, developing, inspiring. We need a strap line just like that. So I think originally when we started the network, for me, it was very much about we did a survey in SHP magazine. This was about six or seven years ago, and it showed that 19 percent of the profession were women. And I was, where are they all? I never see them at a networking event And actually, I found the networking events to be really dire. They were so dull. And so I wanted to create something where there was a forum for women to just meet each other, to know there were other people like them in the profession. So we started out very much about events. And events is still a real sort of stronghold of what we run. They've mostly been virtual over the last couple of years. We're hoping to have a Christmas party subject to some legal firms prepared to put some money into it. But it's really fantastic to be able to get together with other women. The topics we started were very similar to what Andrea was talking about in terms of looking at where women specifically struggle and looking at topics around that. So we had one on networking, for example, because our evidence at the time showed that men were more prepared to go out to do a golf day, for example, and women were not prepared to spend their time on networking because they had to be productive. They had to be seen to be doing things as opposed to out there building their networks. So we had a session on networking in the early days. And now they're much more about topics such as the menopause. We've got one coming up on single parenthood and how that impacts doing your job. But as time has gone on, that's sort of become just part of what we do. The big thing for me is what Charlotte was talking about earlier. And also Andrew's referred to it, which is amplifying women's voices. I got absolutely lambasted five years ago, quite rightly, because... I was still doing the same sort of job as Charlotte and I ran a panel debate which was called Battle of the Ideas and it was all about the new ideas in safety compared to the old ideas and I wanted to have a debate and then I went and got the guys that were speaking about it and it was guys and there were five of them and I had five male speakers and I got so many people saying to me, where are the women, where are the women, where are the women and they were quite right, that was my unconscious bias speaking And I've had to make a massive effort to get to know women that are senior in this audience and to create those opportunities for women to speak, for women to write articles. And people like Charlotte have massively facilitated that by really encouraging people to write articles for SHP, 
really looking at the makeup of the show, making sure there is a good balance between men and women speaking at it. And then the other things that we're doing, we have done some mentoring schemes in the past. They're really difficult to administer, but they're incredibly valuable for members. And we've also been promoting, for example, moving your profession forward by becoming CMIOSH, CFIOSH. We've had people speaking about that and supporting women through that. So Clive Johnson, who used to work at Land Security, some of you may know him, he said to me early on, Heather, how will you know you've succeeded? Do you know, I still don't know the answer. But what I do know is I spoke to a recruitment agent when I was in Berlin recently at the EHS Congress, and he said 40% of the senior positions that he'd recently filled were with women. So we're doing something right. Fantastic. Thank you, Heather. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I'm going to ask a question that I have heard asked many times, which is, doesn't having a group that focuses on women in a sector exacerbate the issue? Letitia. I have heard this time and time again, and there are two sides to this perspective, right? I think when I hear that story, I personally am a bit tired of women's networks in in a sense, and I'll tell you why, because... I first started off at Lloyd Banking Group as one of the only women within a male-dominated team, but then started looking across all the other elements of security and seeing how more women there were in that space and realizing that there were some commonalities. So we very early doors set up uh, like a women's group there. When I moved on to Amazon, again, because of the nature of the role that I was in, I also recognized the same things were happening. And so I very quickly asked that we put a women in security together at Amazon. But again, these challenges, as I see it, are not uncommon to all minorities. Yes, there are some specific women's challenges. But what I've started to recognize is across all minorities, there is so much similarity between the topics that need to be discussed and the challenges that everybody's facing. And therefore, in one hand, it's really important that we focus on women's topics and there is an avenue and a, and a space to explain what those are and build up the allyship because I think it is important that we educate through this process too. But I also feel why I said I'm a bit tired is because we're almost preaching to the converted a lot of the time. When you see a topic of women's networks or women's this, you are predominantly going to get the high percentage of attendance already in that space. And I just wonder if that's why you mentioned some statistics there, Charlotte, that maybe that's why they're not of use to some people. Because some people, like myself, been around the block, heard it before, you know, a bit tired of the same old topic. And so one thing I wanted to bring out in this question, Charlotte, was also that it's a bit like product when you go to the supermarket. Not all networks are the right network for you at any given time. You, you know, sometimes you have to go and explore different networks to appreciate that there are different ideas, there are different approaches. And so it's good to try other avenues and other associations or other people's perspectives to challenge where you're at. Where have I got to answering that question, Charlotte? It's probably that, yes, there is a space for women's networks. They're not all the same. We're not always going to be talking about the same topic. But what I am starting to do more of with my ACES capacity is turn up the volume. I'm really now looking to connect all these networks. 
and really looking to connect these experts, just like we've got on the call today, so that we can collaborate more and make sure that we are touching and delivering more for the needs of those that want to connect, educate themselves and develop. Because I think that's where these networks are really helping people. It's opening the doors and making sure that we're open enough in ourselves to either informally mentor, or if we have got programs, open those doors and show people how to really take the best of what we've got collectively. Thank you. And Fiona, I know that you've got some thoughts on this one too. Yeah, I've been asked quite a few times recently, why do you need a women's network? What about a man's network? You know, surely, surely it's not needed. And, you know, I always come back to the argument that there are so many women, especially in engineering, but in all STEM areas that leave the profession, whether that's, you know, when they have kids or for various reasons. A lot of women don't make it into senior roles because of, you know, various, various issues. But even when we do make it into those senior roles, we're not even getting paid as much as men. So as long as those things still exist and there are barriers for women in the workforce, I absolutely think, you know, there's a need for for these women's groups. We ran a little drop-in webinar type thing a few weeks ago. It was bring your lunch, Friday lunchtime, it was meet the committee and we just had some informal chats. I got so much feedback from the women that attended that session, they said, you know, they just don't get the chance. They work in male-dominated companies. They don't have women that they can just sit around and eat their lunch with and have a bit of a chat about, you know, stuff going on in the world and kids and whatever else we, we chatted about. So I absolutely believe there's a place for this. And maybe, you know, as we get more diverse, you know, we can start looking at, um, you know, other avenues, definitely in the fire sector we absolutely need it hello listeners it's that time of year again registration is now open for the leading events in the security fire and safety professions taking place at london's excel between the 16th to the 18th of may you can secure your ticket for ifsec firex safety and health expo and facility show now there's a link in the description of this podcast to register or you can find out more by visiting their respective websites. IFSEC is celebrating its 50th birthday in 2023 and will feature the distributor network for the very first time alongside a separate conference on the incoming Protect Duty legislation. Plus, the Converse Security Centre and LPCB attack testing zone and plenty more will all return as usual. And don't forget, travel has never been easier too with the new Elizabeth line, meaning that travel between XL and Central London takes just 15 minutes. Get it in your calendar early and register today. Let's get back to the discussion, shall we? For the second half, Charlotte asks why we need to have conversations specifically about women. For instance, if we're talking about diversity and inclusion, should we not be talking about men as well? It brings us on to the next part of the discussion, which is why do we need to have conversations specifically about women? And also, if we're talking about diversity and inclusion, shouldn't we be talking about men as well? And Heather, I'm going to come to you on this one. So I don't know why I said I'd answer this question, because <laughs> I hate saying things that people might find difficult to hear or or I hate causing conflict. However, 
I do think it needs to be said that we are operating in a world where over the last 50 to 100 years, the rules have changed enormously. Men used to go out and do the work. Women stayed at home and were reliant on men. We didn't even have a vote till that long ago. What has changed and shifted over the last, let's say, 50 years is enormous. And that is a huge amount for us as a society to cope with. It has created all sorts of brilliant things, but it's also created some unforeseen consequences, which have made life hard for both men and for women. So, you know, my dad used to go to work, he'd come home, he'd put his case down, my mum would have his dinner ready, she'd have his slippers warmed, you know, and it was a nice life for him. He was happy and she was happy like that. All she wanted was to be a housewife and a mum. I can't imagine living like that. I can't imagine it. But what it has done is created a world where we're all scrabbling around to do so much all the time. We're running houses, looking after children, looking after elderly parents. And whether you like it or not, the majority of that unpaid labor goes to women. So women are still doing the majority of that. It's really interesting. I think it was Andrea originally said that, you know, one of the things that that was viewed as discrimination was that breakfast clubs and things after work were seen as discriminatory. Well, why? If the homework is being shared equally between men and women, then that shouldn't be an issue, should it? Or it would be an issue for men as well as an issue for women. But it isn't. It's primarily, not entirely, but it's primarily an issue for women. So that is one thing where women's experience differs greatly from the male experience. The second thing is, it is not a meritocracy. If I hear once, I hear a thousand times, it's about the best person for the job. But that best person for the job doesn't exist objectively out there. That best person for the job is the person that fits best with you as an organisation, as an individual. And we tend to like people that are like us. We tend to recruit in our own image. Unconscious bias, I suffered from it. I explained earlier when I got these five blokes to talk about battle of the ideas. You know, it's absolutely there. We can't deny it. And the fact that sometimes we can't see the right woman is because we're not present to those right women. We've got a load of men around us. So that is something which does uniquely affect women. We need male allies, though. We definitely need male allies involved in the network. And we've always had one or two that are quite, you know, very much sort of part of that. And each committee that we've had, we've had one or two male allies as part of that. And it is really, really useful to have those people understand. And then the other thing is that I think there are places where absolutely men need to get together. I'm thinking particularly about men's mental health. Obviously, that's the field that I'm involved in. We've done some work in the network around gender and mental health. And what we discovered when we ran that webinar was that actually it isn't just about gender and mental health. It's about inclusivity involves allowing everyone to be themselves. And that may involve them seeing other people like them being in networks with people like them. So I think there should be potentially networks for all of the various factors that may come into play here. And certainly when we talk about mental health, men deal with mental health issues differently to the way that women deal with them. And I think they are brilliant when groups, when men get together uh, and talk about these things are brilliant. And I personally think that we still need this for women specifically because we do still have an imbalance in there. And you've done some anecdotes of what that looks like, Charlotte, already. 
Yeah, and Andrew, I'm going to um, ask you to come in on this too. Do you see that women face different challenges to men in fire? And are there advantages for women? I think there are some very different challenges. One of the things that's probably most pivotal is that our motivations as a generalisation are different. We're motivated by different things. So I'm being obviously hugely generalising hugely, but you know, traditionally men are, are much more focused on money and position. Traditionally women are much more about quality of life and making a positive difference. That's one huge difference I would say. I think another thing is we've talked about, without a doubt, sexism, gaslighting, microaggressions, they definitely still exist. I can remember I joined the fire service some 20 years ago and there was no female uniform. I had men's trousers. The gloves that I wore on my basic firefighters course were too big. They were the smallest they had and I couldn't actually grip anything because my hands were swimming in these gloves I think even today, trying to find PPE to go out on site that fits a woman is quite challenging. So, you know, everyday things, I think, are are certainly a difference. And then I think women tend to be people pleasers. And, you know, we might negatively self-sacrifice and put the needs of others before our own. I think potentially that's where we differ from men. And then the confidence issue. So generally, and I always smile when I see someone do it, women won't be the confident ones. You'll have to encourage them to put their voices forward or to speak at an event. And I'm not sure that's the same with men. And I think if you turn those around, there's some real advantages. You know, yes, women are people pleasers, but they're caring and they think of others. And that's a positive So I think for all the negatives, if we just change our mindset a little bit, we can see that those negatives actually have positive aspects to them. Just one advantage that women do find themselves having in in the fire industry. I was at the fire conference yesterday and it's the first place or event I've ever been to where there was a queue for the males' toilets and none for the females. There are advantages. (laughs) Thank you. I want to know what you think can be done to support gender equality in our professions. And it's three-pronged because I think we can look at uh, what organisations can do, what managers can do, what individuals can do. So, Andrea, I'm going to come back to you. I'll raise two points because I'm conscious of time. One is that I am keen for people to get a better understanding of other people's situation. My feeling is that a lot of this is unconscious or a lack of awareness. As a woman in fire engineering, going into a room of a couple of hundred men and perhaps being the only woman or a handful of women, none of whom I know, it's a difficult situation or even in a a meeting, a construction meeting, and I'm the only woman there. And and I just wonder whether men would potentially put themselves in the reverse position and find a situation, I don't know, go to a, a mother and toddler club or, you know, some situation which is a meeting or a, a gathering full of women 
and put themselves in that position and just see how that feels. I wonder then, having understood that a little more, whether they might consciously appreciate that walking into those rooms. You know, I've got vivid memories of being at the door and knowing I'm about to walk into several hundred men in a room and I will be the only woman. That, that's a difficult feeling. And knowing that at best, no one will talk to you. Let's be kind. If we could raise that sort of appreciation of what it might be like to be the only or the few, that would be great. And then the other point I would say is that, you know, we, we do need to start challenging on behalf of other people in group settings behaviour that, that isn't acceptable and I'm really encouraged because I have heard some examples recently where, where men have actually stood up and said that behaviour wasn't acceptable towards my colleague. I think we are at a point now where, where we do need to actually stand up and call out that behaviour if we feel it, it isn't appropriate. Thank you very much. Heather? For me, it's very much about that education piece, really. It's about for me, the big issue is an understanding that we don't live in a meritocracy. Our gender, our ethnicity, our economic circumstances, our upbringing, all of those things will give us an advantage or a disadvantage. And it is a disadvantage in most professions to be a woman, not in all, but it's certainly in the profession that we work in. And actually, as somebody just said, actually, let's think about the advantages if we're again being stereotypical about this, when we look at the health and safety profession, when I joined it in the 1980s and 1990s, it was all about compliance. It was about big stick. It was about a clipboard. It was about saying no. And now it's all about engagement. It's all about empathy. It's all about curiosity. It's all about understanding. And some of these qualities are are qualities that are often held very strongly by women. I'm not saying it's unique to women. There are many men that are like that too. But in the main, you know, that is sort of the description that you would give to many women. This whole idea of people pleasing and service sort of plays into that. So actually, there are many advantages to hiring women in the safety and health space right now. Thank you, Heather. Fiona, can I ask for your thoughts on what can be done? I think there's a few things. I think the first prong to organisations, I think organisations need to actively employ women into leadership roles and they may need a little bit more of a confidence boost to go for those ones. You know, we are less likely to apply with imposter syndrome and, and everything, but I'm a big believer in if you can't see it, you can't be it. So the more women we have in senior roles, they will help support, motivate the younger generation. I also put out a call to our group around kind of tips for women looking to get into the industry or perhaps starting their careers in fire. And the popular thing that came back was to seek out sort of like-minded people, but also to get a mentor. And I'm a big believer in mentors. I've had some brilliant mentors in my career. And likewise, I, I enjoy mentoring less, more junior people. So they're kind of my two top tips, really, for organisations and, and individuals. Finally, Letitia. So I've made a few notes, actually, because just off what everybody's mentioned there, I definitely have noticed a shift between the what 
if you like, and the house. So, you know, just 10 years ago, we focused on what can you achieve? What are the KPIs? You know, what does success look like? And maybe it's, again, changing position and role. So I just wanted to reflect on, and I'm coming from a perspective now where I'm senior in my career, but a lot of what I would be advocating is still a challenge, I think, in early career. So I'm going to start with what can people do, individuals do, a little bit differently, take a little bit of personal responsibility and ownership to help drive the change as well. Because I do believe organizations are coming on board and doing what they can and what they believe is right to engender positivity. But I also feel that speaking up, but being able to feel safe or psychologically safe to speak up as well is really important. So it's a two-way conversation a lot of the time between manager and individual or what is perceived to be a hierarchical position to a, a more junior position. But I think it's also important that the behaviors of both parties are to be curious. Let's be curious about those perspectives. Let's ask more questions. Why is it you feel that way? Why and what has made you believe this? Because I do a lot of informal mentoring because I get scared by the whole idea of formal mentoring. But when I talk to a lot of junior people as well as people uh, of my own peer group, it's all based in fear. We're scared, ultimately. Uh, and that's the commonality, I think, particularly in women's groups. The fear of what's going to happen. What I'd like just ask anybody that's junior in their career, you know, is how do you stay authentic? How do you speak up? How can you help your psychological safety, but also learn to say no without saying no? These are all skills that I've developed over 20 years, and probably because I was a little bit tenacious and a little bit more resilient than other people at the time. But I see these similarities still coming through, and it's all people. I'm not saying it's just women, but because men have imposter syndrome too, the more I speak about this, the more I hear men say, actually, when I go into a room, I'm bloody scared too, but for different reasons, different triggers, different things sit behind that. And why am I telling you that? Because I have asked them the question, what is it? Why is it? But again, it's starting to have that positive effect on being able to be more curious. So I hope I've answered on behalf of the individuals and a little bit on managers, because I think the organizations, particularly the big ones, the big multinationals like my own and the ones that I've worked for, I do see that they're trying to make a difference. But we also have to, you know, the junior levels and the managers and the middle managers up and, and help them with their behaviors. We're now going to go on to some of the questions that we've got from the audience and comments. There's a comment here which... I found interesting, and this is referring back to when the generic fire email address, which was getting a better response than a female name. And I can see that someone has added a comment saying, I've done the same. I've abbreviated my name to Alex rather than Alexandra for the same reason. Another comment here is, as a health and safety consultant in construction, I agree with Andrea that sometimes this could be an unconscious issue. Having been in health and safety for 30 plus years, things are changing, albeit slowly. But this week I was asked if I wanted an umbrella on a construction site, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. There's a question here that I'm going to put to the group of you. It's from someone who said, I run a small health and safety consultancy, mainly in the construction sector. I would like to bring my daughter into the business, but she is unsure because of the male dominated industry. 
what advice would the panel give that I could pass on to her? So one of the things that I've worked on recently is purpose, because once you know your purpose, you tend to be able to be more resilient, as I've mentioned, one of the things that I'm looking at. And so therefore, it's nice to bring, you know, family or friends into an environment because you love it yourself. But I think my question back as a grounding to to that person who's, who's really would love quite clearly to have their daughter involved in, in something that they enjoy is what is the driver for that daughter? And therefore, I believe it's skills over experience. If they have the right skills that can be developed and harnessed and supported, then there should be no reason to fear coming into some of these industries. Because I always knew my purpose was to do the right thing, uh, no matter at what cost sometimes. Um, But that has driven me through because what I'm doing for the greater good, in my perspective, is worthwhile. And that's what keeps me going and keeps me fighting the good fight every day. The biggest reason that I found men want to talk about gender inequality is because they'll start with, my daughter's thinking of going into engineering and she's experienced some things and she's really not sure it's where she should be how do I start having this conversation and and how do we start changing the industry? I found that an interesting driver that it it appears that it needs to be quite close to home before we're willing to have those conversations. But if that's what it takes, then so be it. I think, Martin, your daughter's concerns, if I can be that strong, are justified in my experience And I think it comes down to being realistic about understanding that that is the reality and is that something that she's willing to face and is that something that she will have support to face? Because if she's trying to face that alone and obviously if she's in your your consultancy then that makes something of a difference but I think to deny that it will happen is probably unhelpful I think it's actually more a question of eyes wide open and seeing whether it's for her with those challenges attached to it so I'm going to finish with one final comment here which is coming from a listener the final comment that I want to just read aloud is It's bad in this day and age that women are looked at as not being on the same par as us men. I've worked with a lot of women who I thought were fantastic within their role. Hats off to all you speakers who started groups for supporting women in their industry. Welcome back and a huge thanks to Letitia, Andrea, Fiona and Heather for joining the discussion. I guess on a positive note, it's fantastic to hear how the different women's networks across the three sectors have grown and developed over recent years. The Women in Fire Engineering Networking Group's strapline says it all really, supporting, developing and inspiring. Groups such as this can provide a really important support network to speak openly about the challenges faced and solutions to overcome them, but also as a place to showcase and amplify the fact that younger women shouldn't feel like certain industries are closed to them. I think a quote that really reflects the importance of this, which has been attributed to many people over the years, but that Fiona used here, and it works not just in relation to gender, but also ethnicity, 
is if you can't see it, you can't be it. Ultimately, a more diverse, equitable and inclusive sector is beneficial to everyone. As an industry, we should think about how we can level the playing field and open security up to underrepresented groups. With that will only come more diversity of thought and increased engagement in the sector from the next generation and ensure that more talent comes into the industry. As I said, beneficial for everyone. Hearing some of the stories and experiences from the panelists and even those who wrote in on the webinar day show that barriers still remain. So let's keep talking. As always, there are a few links in the episode description for further reading as well as links to the different women's networks mentioned on this podcast if you want to find out more or get involved with them. So be sure to have a look at those. And that's all from this episode of the Security in Focus podcast. This has been a podcast from IFSEC Global. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media platforms you're on to keep up with the latest in the industry. Thanks for listening and see you next time.